Hello, I'm iChurch. Hi, I'm Me Church. Uh, iChurch, that stands for Intentional Church. Me Church, that stands for me. Intentional Church means that I have a purpose. Uh, my purpose is to connect people with Jesus Christ and with others. What are you doing? I'm wandering. You're wandering? Yes, I don't really have a purpose. Uh, how do you know when you're being effective? Well, I'm tired, so I, I must be doing something, right? <laughs> you should get a purpose. Oh, right. Like this? How am I doing? Uh, listen, I've got somewhere to go, but I'll be back in a little while, and I guess you'll still be here since you're not really going anywhere. That would have been worth the price of a mission just to watch Lance and Sean, right, do that? Well, good morning. We're in for a brand new series this morning called Intentional Life, and it's all about living your life with purpose and, and really living life in the sweet spot. But before we get there this morning, let me just take a moment to talk about the series. When you came in this morning, you received a worship folder, and inside the worship folder is the schedule of the messages that I'm going to be bringing to you. Uh, could I just say for a moment that each one of these messages is, is absolutely essential. I know this is the summer, I know you're traveling, but whatever it takes to be part of these messages, whether it's downloading them off the internet or getting the CD or whatever, the DVD, let me encourage you to get each one of these, and I'll tell you why. As we're going to see in a few moments, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament is the one era of life where the Israelites got it right. And I begin to wonder, what was it that caused them to live life in the sweet spot. And so I, I studied the book of Joshua and I came up with eight keys. And what you need to understand about this series is I didn't have eight weeks to preach and, th and thought, what, what am I going to preach during those eight weeks? I, I didn't take anything away from it. I didn't add anything to it. As clear as I could see it from the scripture, these were the eight, eight elements that were essential for living life in the zone. So you can see coming up next week, uh, the message is called Turn It Up. It's living life in a climate of radical encouragement. Do you know the difference between sympathy and encouragement? It's incredibly important that you do. So we're going to talk next week about what it's like you know, in the workplace or in your home environment to live life in a climate of radical encouragement. It's absolutely key. When God is doing something in your life, it's very important that other people hear about it, see about it, because there's a lot of power in the testimony and the power and, and the experience of what God's doing in somebody else's life. So you want to be here for a sermon called Wake the Neighbors, the Power of Buzz. Um, and then you can come to a point, a critical moment in your life, and you have to make a move, and you don't know what the outcome's going to be. Mo a lot of life is like that. Life's greatest steps often happen when you have to do something, and you don't know exactly what the outcome's going to be. And, and that's faith. God sometimes requires us to make that first move, to take that first step. That's a sermon coming up called Dairy to Move. Rock the House is probably going to be the most, uh, the sermon I need more than any other sermon in, in this whole series. Uh, when, you, when, when you experience God at work in your life, it's important that you take time to celebrate, especially with your, with your parents, with your kids. It's very important to take time to celebrate. I need that in my life. What do you do when you have a setback? How do you regroup after a setback? There's a sermon called Statics, very important. And then one of my favorites, now that I'll be 50 this year, is aging without getting old. Because, you know, all of us are going to age if God lets us live. Some people get old before their time. Some people live to be 90 years old and they're still perpetually young. How do you age without getting old? I can't wait for that message. And then Echo Effect. That comes uh, at the very last sermon. It's about leaving a legacy. A lot of people have a day in the sun. Very few people leave a legacy. 
So I want to encourage you to be here for each one of these messages uh, in this series, Intentional Life, because we're going to have a great time together as we study. Now let's take uh, a few moments just to look at what happened in the life of Joshua and his people. In Judges chapter 2, the Bible is sort of giving a history of what happened during this golden moment. In Judges 2-7, the Bible says, And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. That's just a simple statement. But it's a powerful statement because the Bible says that throughout Joshua's life, and then on top of that, the next generation, the generation that synced up with them, that generation that caught the vision, Israel served God, and they led an absolutely charmed life. Today, we're going to look at the first key to living that kind of life. And our sermon is entitled, Step Up to the Mic. William Shakespeare wrote, and it's my favorite Shakespeare quote, There is a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted. The voyage of their lives is bound in shallows and miseries. In effect, what he's saying, there's this, there's this tide of fortune that runs through life. If you seize it at the flood, if you seize it at the moment of opportunity, it leads on to good things. But if you lose that moment of opportunity, you may spend your life in the shallows and miseries and the little things of life. And I really think most people are there. As I look at life, most people are just kind of hung up in the weeds. They never get anywhere. And they wonder why life does not work for them. And I really believe much of it's going to come down to to what we're going to talk about today. And that's seizing the opportunities that God places in your life when you have the chance to do it. See, I think a lot of people have this idea. It goes something like this. Because God is a God of love, I can get around to him whenever I want to. I can do my thing, but God will always love me, and somehow I can get back in sync with him somewhere down along the line. What we're going to discover is that there are moments of opportunity, and if you fail to seize that opportunity, it may never come again. Let's go back and do a little history, because in order to study, or in order to understand Joshua, you have to go back 40 years before the book begins to see something that happened. The Israelites at this point, were, were slave laborers. They, they lived in a place called, they lived in Egypt, and the Egyptians were forcing them to do, actually to build the pyramids. And it was a brutal life that they lived. One day, God called a man named Moses and said to him, I'm going to give you the job of leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, here's what God said to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And God said to Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you, and by the way, it was a big crowd, somewhere between two and a half and three and a half million people. God said to Moses, I'm going to bring you and all the people out of Egypt, and I'm going to take you to this awesome land. And God said, you're going to move into houses that you didn't build, and you're going to harvest vineyards that you didn't plant. In effect, God was saying, I'm going to give you this awesome land. How many of us have watched 
you know, uh, as, as some of these contests, you know, where they, they build this dream home and somebody wins this dream home and they're able to go in here and it's a turnkey thing. They walk in and it's a beautiful home and everything's nicely appointed, you know, and stuff is well decorated. That's what God was saying to the Israelites. He said, I'm going to take all two and a half, three and a half million people of you and take you to this land where you're going to lead a charmed life out of slavery into this, what we call, what the Bible sometimes calls the promised land. So, there's a key verse that all of us ought to think about. This is from the Amplified. In Deuteronomy 1, verse 2, the Bible says, It is only 11 days' journey from Horeb to Canaan's border. Canaan is the land that God promised them. Yet, Israel took 40 years to get beyond it. Now, don't let that go too fast. 11 days is all it should have taken to have gotten from this place where God spoke to them in the wilderness to the border of Canaan. 11 days. So when you read about how the Israelites wandered all through the wilderness and God had to give them, you know, manna from heaven and quail and water from rocks and all that, surely you understand that wasn't God's purpose. I mean, it's a bad thing for three and a half million people to have to go be in the wilderness for 40 years, but that was never God's idea. It was only 11 days' journey, and yet it took 40 years. Why did it take 40 years? Here's how it came down. The Israelites... We're in the desert on the border of Canaan in a place called Kadesh Barnea. God had said, this is an awesome land. And they said, the people said, we, we, need, we need to know if it's as good as God says it is. And so Moses, he obliged them. He selected 12 spies, one leader from each of the tribes, the 12 tribes. And he said to these, to these men, go over into Canaan stealthily. You know, they had to be careful. They couldn't, commu- they, they couldn't show who they were. But he said, go over into the land and see if the land is as good as God says it is. And so all 12 of these guys go over there and they look at it and they say, wow, it's even better than God says it was. The Bible records that they found one cluster of grapes that was so big that two men had to carry it on a pole. And so when they came back, here, I want you to kind of spend some time with me in the text. And, and I need to read a little bit this morning, so I hope, I hope you can hang with me here. In, in Numbers 13, the 12 spies come back, and the Bible says this was their report to Moses. Keep that in mind. Moses was the leader. He was God's chosen man that God had chosen to get them out of Egypt into the promised land. The 12 spies came back, and now they're, they're reading their report to Moses. They said, we entered the land you sent us to explore, and indeed it is a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. Now in verse 30, you're going to hear the name of a man for the first time. His name is Caleb. Now our study is about Joshua, who will be the next leader of Israel. Caleb and Joshua are like this. I don't know if you've ever had a, a, a friend who was like a soul brother or a soul sister or, you know, just a kindred spirit. But two people, they're just alike in the way they live life. Well, Joshua and Caleb are like this. They are best buddies, and the, and the things that move Joshua move Caleb. Caleb is going to be the spokesman here. The 12 spies have come back, and they're telling Moses. I mean, the majority report says it's a great land. It's everything God said it was plus, but the only problem is... There are big people over there. Caleb says in verse 30, he tried to quiet the people. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. 
But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Now, up till now, the, the report has been going to Moses. But in verse 32, they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Okay, let's, let's, let's sort of slow this down a little bit. Notice, if you will, that when these 10 spies who, who didn't want to go over into Canaan, when they talked to the people, did you notice they left out part of it? I mean, they left out the part that this is a good land. They just spread a negative report. All they said was, you know, we went over there, and this is a land that eats up people. Now, if you want to get life in the zone, and and if you want to live life at its very best, here is a powerful lesson from from a negative circumstance. We're going to learn what not to do from these guys, these 10 spies who came back and were negative. Notice that they said, we don't want to go back over there because we felt like grasshoppers to them And when they looked at us, that's what they saw. Never let somebody else give you your identity. If you want to be everything that God wants you to be, if you want to live life in the zone, don't hand your precious identity to somebody else, especially somebody who's negative. Listen, your identity does not come from Your spouse, even though it's important, your identity does not come from your children. Your identity does not come from your parents. Your identity does not come from your in-laws. Your identity does not come from the people that you work with. So stop trying to please people. Stop trying to, you know, give people a good impression of yourself. Be who you are in the presence of God because all our identity comes from him. I mean, these guys said, you know, we went over there and we look like grasshoppers to them. First of all, I'm wondering how they knew that. Because they weren't supposed to talk to anybody. They were spies. But they were just insecure. I've met people. In fact, I know many people who live their lives in absolute insecurity because they're always measuring themselves as to how they look to other people. Can I give you a little personal illustration? Many years ago, I realized I was not the normal preacher. I've got to tell you. I mean, I I don't carry my Bible that way, you know. I'm I'm not real... I'm not real pastoral. Actually, I can, I can sort of be kind of iconoclastic at times. But I am who God made me to be. And as long as I am who God made me to be, and I'm synced up with God's will for my life, I'm effective. The only time I'm not effective is when I try to be somebody I'm not. And these guys came back and they said, oh, we can't go over there. We checked it out. We look like, <laughs> we look, we look like, we look like pygmies to those guys. In their sight, that's what we look like. You don't hear that kind of thing coming from Caleb. Let's go back to the text. Oh, by the way, could I tell you this? I don't have, there are so many things I want to share with you. I'm just running out of time. Do you know that things got so bad in the camp that the Israelites actually wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb? Joshua and Caleb were the ones who came back and said, we can do this. God said we can do it. And this, I mean, this is our whole purpose. God let us out here so we could do this. But they were, they were so angry, they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. Sometime in your life, being right is going to put you in that position. You're going to be all by yourself to be right. But it's still important to be right. Amen? Okay, let's go. At the moment of decision, the Israelites choked. Now, 
at some point, somebody could say, well, you know what, they just, they just had a bad moment, and, and God should have just understood that these people were stressed out and walking around in the wilderness. God didn't understand that at all. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 29, here's what God said, you will all drop dead in this wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua. You said your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I'll bring them safely into the land, and they will enjoy what you've despised. And your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, and I, I, oh, this is awful. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you dies dead in the wilderness. That's why it took 40, or actually 38 years to get 11 days journey. The Israelites said, we don't want to do this. We don't want to seize the moment. We don't want to take this tide at the flood. It's too scary. It's too difficult. And we don't know what the outcome is going to be. So at that moment of a vital decision, they choked. And God said, okay, the only thing I can do is let you die off. This whole generation, 20 years old and older, God said, I'm just going to have to, let, I'm going to, have to walk you in circles until you die. And I'm sure for the next 38 years, it was a tough existence. Because the Israelites are out in this wilderness wandering around, and it was just funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral. And in my mind, I envisioned what it must have been like for Joshua and Caleb. Because here they were, they were, they were aging all this time, and they were watching their, their peers drop by the wayside and die. In fact, Caleb and Joshua probably dug a lot of graves. And they lost 38 years of the prime of their lives because of somebody else's bad decision. Who am I talking to this morning? You're losing good days because of somebody else's bad decision. But that doesn't mean that your life is over. I just sort of, you know, I have a vivid imagination. I could see Joshua and Caleb as they're out lying in the desert under the stars at night. And there were things that they could talk to each other about they couldn't talk to anybody else about. Because when it came to talking about what things were like in Canaan, the only two people they could talk to was each other. And I see them as they're lying out under the stars and looking up at the heavens, and Caleb says to Joshua, Man, Josh, do you remember? Do you remember Canaan? You remember those grapes, buddy? You remember those houses and those fields? You remember how beautiful the land was? You remember that little lake down there at the bottom of that mountain? Boy, that'd be, that'd be a great place to go bass fishing, wouldn't it? And I hear Joshua say to Caleb, you think we'll ever get there? I hear Caleb say, yeah, God promised we'd get there. And that's what they survived on for 38 years, memories and promises. I may be talking to somebody this morning and you're going through a wilderness experience. And you may be wondering, am I ever going to get there? Am I ever going to get to that place where life is in the zone? It's very important to remember the word of God. It's very important to remember the promises of God. Because as God told Joshua, keep this book close by. I mean, God, God would say to him, this is in chapter 1, and we're not, we not going to be able to read all, as much as I want to read today. But God will say to Joshua, just keep the promises close by you. And for 38 years, Joshua and Caleb, they wandered in the wilderness. And what kept them going was memories and promises, memories of Canaan and the promise that God would get them back there again. And now we come to Joshua chapter 1. 
Verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. On the day when I first began to look at this book for this series, it was as almost, almost as if there was a flashing light, like this exclamation point behind me is backlit. There was almost a flashing light on those words, the time has come for you. Joshua had spent much of his life as a trusted lieutenant. He had been Moses' aide-de-camp. He had been a, a faithful he had been a faithful spy. And for 38 and a half years, he had wandered in the wilderness waiting for something to happen, waiting for something to break. And there came a moment when God said to Joshua, your time has come. Call me melodramatic if you will. But I believe in every one of our lives, there are going to be moments when God is going to summon you and say to you, your time has come. This is your moment. God was saying to Joshua, this is time for you to step up to the mic. It is time for you to come front and center. No longer are you going to wander in the wilderness. I am going to pick you to take Israel into the land that you remember. If you want to live life in the zone, the first thing that you must remember is that you take God at his word and you take him up on his challenge. When God says the time has come for you, you say, here I am. We're going to follow Joshua throughout this book. He'll be scared at times. We're going to see that next week because somebody will say, well, Mark, I don't know. I mean, living this kind of life that you're talking about, it sounds scary. I, I, I know there, there must be people like you who are fearless. I don't know of anybody who's fearless. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's what you're willing to do when you are afraid. God said, Joshua, this is your time. This is your moment. Forty years before, 38 years before, God had said that to a whole nation, and they had choked. But God said to Joshua, this is your moment. I honestly believe, as I stand before you here today, that some of you know, and, and you, it, it may be so varied, there's no way that I can understand everything that God is saying to you. But I really believe that God is saying something to somebody here today. This is your moment. God is speaking to you about something specific. It may not be audibly. It just may be something that you know in your life, a step that you need to take. And God is saying, this is your moment. Step up to the mic. Take the challenge. Well, somebody will say, well, Mark, if I take the challenge, what's going to happen to me? Let me show you three things that God said to Joshua, and I'll be through with this message. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, God said to Joshua, Nobody will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. There are three promises for anybody who will accept God in one of his challenges. And I don't know what God is asking you to do today. For some of you, I mean, we've been talking about, you know, iChurch and, and intentional church and some of the things that are happening here and how we're, you know, we're moving up our kids' space and doing a lot of things that are really exciting. It could be that God is like touching somebody here today to volunteer for a ministry in this church. It could be something broader than that. It could be something financial. But God has been talking to you about something. What do you know God will do if you will take him at his challenges? Three things. Number one, God said to Joshua, nobody will be able to stand against you. 
Now, here's the deal. If you set out to follow Jesus, people will be against you. Could I just say that? You know, if you ever follow Christ to do anything in your life, you're going to have opposition. But what God was saying to Joshua is nobody's going to be able to stay against you. They may rise up against you. And you may have bad days, and you may have opposition. But as we'll see throughout the book of Joshua, nobody was able to stand permanently against them. Somebody could be here today, and you're saying, Mark, if I step up to the mic, wow, there's just hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. God is saying none of them will be able to stay there. The second thing God promises is, I'll be with you. Whatever you do, God's saying, I'll be right there by your side. You don't need to be scared. Well, I can remember when I was a kid, if my dad was with me, I didn't care if I was in the scariest place in the world, if he was with me. And God is saying to Joshua, I know, I know you're going to go through some times that are going to be frightening. But he was saying, you don't, you, don't have to be, you don't have to be scared because I'm going to be with you everywhere I go. If you sync your life up with God's will, you have God's presence right there with you all the time. You may not see him, but you can say, God, I know you're here. Third thing, God said to Joshua, I won't ever let you down. Now, there's a little something interesting about Joshua. There's so many things I'd love to cover with you. You'd have to go back into the, to the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. The Bible call, if, you, if you look at the, ten, the, the, the 12 spies that go over into Canaan, you'll notice that you won't find Joshua's name there. The name is Oshea, O-S-H-E-A. There's just a little blurb there in the Bible that says that Moses changed his name from Oshea to Joshua. You know what Oshia means? It means Savior, Deliverer. How would you like to have that hung on you when you were a kid? Now, what's your name? Oh, my name is Superhero. <laughs> I'm super, my, my name means Superman. Well, Joshua didn't feel like Superman. And so here's Moses. I mean, Moses discovers this young guy when, when Joshua was a kid. Moses just discovers that he's just, you know, really efficient in whatever you assign this kid to do. I mean, he just comes back with job A, first-class job. And, and after a while, Moses says, you know, I need this guy with me all the time. I, I need one lieutenant I can trust above everybody else. And Moses said, I, I want this kid named Oshia. But by the way, Oshia, that name is too big for you. I think I'm just going to start calling you Joshua or Jehoshua. You know what that means? It means God is my superman. Some of us need to have our name changed. By the way, when you see shift in the, in the worship folder, that's all about some people whose names God changed. That's coming up in September. Some of us need in our hearts to have our name changed. Because all of our lives we've thought that it was our job to be superman or superwoman. And we keep failing and we keep bumping. And we, we ask ourselves, well, you know, and, and God, God is saying to, to Joshua through Moses, I don't want your name to be Superman anymore. I want your name to be God is my superhero. The, the full name was Jehoshua. It was shortened to Joshua. And there is a Greek form of it that you know very well. It's Jesus. You know, Joshua and Jesus have the same name. That's right. And God was saying to Joshua, if you'll take me on my challenge, nobody will ever be able to stand against you. And I'm going to be with you. 
And God was saying to him, since I'm the real superhero, I won't ever let you down. How about you today? If you want to live life in the zone, the very first thing you have to do is say, God, here I am. I'm ready for any challenge. Not because I'm a superhero, but because you're my superhero. And if you've got a challenge for me, then I'm going to step out and accept it. I've got to tell you right now, I've got a challenge that's being offered to me. I'll look at this. I don't see a way in the world I can do it. I, I don't know that I'm gifted to do this, but the door just keeps opening up for me to do something extraordinary. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this message even as I preach, and I'm thinking, I know who this message is for. It's for me. And it's for all of us whom God is saying, step up to the mic. Take me at my word. We went to a water park on a really hot day in Texas the other day. And, and I was sort of just enjoying the pools and the wave pools and stuff. And, but Stephen was there and he said, hey, Dad, I want you to come down one of these slides with me. And I, I, I have a fear of height. I'm acrophobic. I don't like height. Jesus said, the Bible says, lo, I'm with you always. And, <laughs> but when your 12-year-old kid says, hey, Dad, come down the slide with me. What are you going to do? Step up to the mic, yeah. <laughs> so... I got up on the, um, on the steps, and I started climbing. And, I mean, I climbed flight after flight. And after a while, I could, see, I could see the skyline of Fort Worth, my hometown. Then after a while, I was looking down on the skyline of Fort Worth. And I remember this particular moment. I remember that I got to the top. And I was kind of standing there, and I was thinking about what it would be like to walk down those stairs with all those people climbing up. And just as I did that, the girl said, sir, it's your turn. And she said, now, and I, st I started to sit down. She said, no, you, you can't sit on the slide. She said, you've got to lay down to really enjoy it. You've got to uh, do this. And I remember that moment at which I did. Now, my son Stephen had a lot of fun on that slide, but he doesn't weigh 200 pounds. <laughs> because when I laid down on that slide, my 200 pounds joined up, synced up with the design of that slide. And every time I turned a curve, went through a curve, I accelerated. But I got to tell you this, I rode that slide again and again and again and again. <laughs> now, here's the deal. God is saying, ride the slide. Because what's going to happen when you ride the slide is who you are is going to sync up with the design. And that's what will give you the ride of your life. And there's going to be a moment when you're going to climb and you're going to be scared out of your wits. And God is going to say, it's your turn. Like he said to Joshua. And you're going to have the ride of your life. And you'll want to ride it again and again and again and again. That's the first key 
to living life in the zone. Next week, I'll give you number two. But you step up and you say, okay, here I am. The time has come for me. I'm not going to choke. I accept the challenge. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's